everything that God has done and wants to do with mankind from now through eternity, from the beginning of the creation of man through eternity, was always intended to be interactive, and God created us to be interactive. And anything that removes the interactivity of man removes the purpose for which man was created by God. This is Nita Erlene, and you are listening to the TRC Ministries podcast. In this series on what's so great about salvation, Tori has been teaching that we are saved to life, community, and authority. Today, Tori continues his focus on being saved to life as he takes us through Romans 5 and the reality of salvation being an interactive relationship with God. Here is Tori with What's So Great About Salvation, Part 6. Well, one thing I wanted to share with you guys, I'm going to probably be talking about a couple of, or at least one specific concept or doctrine. I don't want to be controversial. I certainly don't want to insist that I'm correct because I've been wrong enough in my life to know that wouldn't be entirely out of historical precedent to be wrong again but there was a point that I left unsaid in the in this discussion about life that I think is a bedrock foundational concept of God's intention for us as people and as his people and you might remember that there were three things that I said that we were saved to and that was life community and authority. And in all of that, there is a foundational concept that I want to talk about today a little bit. And I'm going to try not to focus on the opposing or dissenting perspective, but I have to mention those. But I want my focus to be on the perspective on a get across that I think is biblical. I think I'll start with having us read Romans 5 together. I want to talk about some things that we find in there. I'm reading out of the New American Standard. I think you'll be able to follow along. I'll just start in verse 1 and read all the way through the whole chapter. Uh, Starts off here in chapter 5 in Romans. Therefore, having been justified by faith... We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exult in hope of the glory of God. Not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance proven character, and proven character hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. 
For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. But the free gift is not like the transgression, for if by the transgression of the one the many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many." The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For on the one hand, the judgment arose from one transgression resulting in condemnation. But on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions resulting in justification. For if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. So then, as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, even so through one act of righteousness there resulted justification of life to all men. For as through the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one the many will be made righteous. And the law came in that the transgression might increase, but where sin increased grace abounded all the more that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So we're all familiar with this chapter. I want to point out a few of the details that, that stand out to me when I read this. But I want to read the last statement that I, I made two Sundays ago. It said, when we think of salvation as being forgiven and rescued from the penalty of our sin so that we can go to heaven when we die, we miss the entire point of salvation. We have been saved in order to share the same kind of life that God has in himself. And now I want to add some context to that. I would say, of course, there is an issue with sin, and that's part of what this chapter is about. There's an issue with sin that needs to be addressed. But there were other issues that needed to be addressed as well. And sin was one of those details that God dealt with in order to make his life available to all mankind. And so this, this is one of the things that needed to happen. And you see this in this contrast. It's not just a contrast. It's, I'll point us out, for example, in verse 10, he starts out, if this is true, then wouldn't this also? There's not just a contrast, but also a progression. That progression goes through the chapter, but it also, this is kind of pivotal right here. If while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, what was it that brought reconciliation? The death of his son. That's, that's what brought reconciliation. What's the next thing that comes? 
how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? What brings salvation? His life. Okay, and the point that I want to make here, I believe that this chapter, and particularly 5, 8, 18, makes it very clear that the availability of life covers the same exact scope as the curse of death. So I want to say that again, and this might be disconnected here, it might seem a little disconnected. I want to connect these dots here by the end of this talk here. But the availability of life covers the same scope as the curse of death. So if you look at verse 18, so then, as through one transgression there resulted in condemnation to all men. Okay, and this was kind of the point. Remember, Paul starts out saying, hey, everybody died even if they didn't sin in the same way Adam did. And he's making the case that there was a universal curse of death that went from Adam on forward. Okay, and so what's the scope here in verse 18? Through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men. Well, all men. There's a universal scope. Look at the next, the next statement in that same verse. Even so, through one act of righteousness, there resulted justification of life. What's the scope? Amen. Now, some people look at that and have used that as a means of supporting an idea that everybody is saved. And I am not saying that. That's not my point. So if you think, if, if you come away thinking that that's what I said by the end of this time, then you didn't understand what I meant to say, and maybe I didn't do a good job of communicating. But that's not what I mean. But make no mistake, it's clear that the availability of life covers the exact same scope as the curse of death. The Bible is clear about the fact that some are and will be saved, and some are not. And I think that we can agree on that. We don't need to go into a lot of depth looking at that. I think that that's, that's clear. That although God did not want any to perish, some do. And some in the future will. However, the availability of life does not equate to the receiving of life. And I want you to see that in verse 17, the verse just before that, verse 18. If by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will life through the one, Jesus Christ. Here's the contingency that's put forward. The availability and the forgiveness of sins is universal. The availability of life is universal to all man. And I'll just mention that this is not universally believed amongst Christians. Some teach in the concept of a limited atonement. And that being that, that the atonement only applies to those who will be saved. But this passage here in Romans 5 puts exactly the same scope on the availability of life that existed on the curse. But it made clear that there is a contingency on receiving that life. 
on receiving that gift. The availability was the gift. We had nothing to do with it being made available. The application of that gift is dependent upon us being willing to receive that gift. And what is the gift? The gift is life. The reconciliation was necessary for that life to be available for us to take. And so God took care of that. He took care of the issue of sin. And so now the only issue that stands between us and this life is our willingness to receive God and the gift that he, that he brings. Now I realize that not everybody agrees with that, but there's a reason that I feel that this is important. And the reason that this is important is because all of what God offers through salvation is intended to be interactive. It's intended to be interactive. So when I say life, for example, is something to which we are saved, life, we talked about teleonomy and all of that, is an interaction. It's an interaction with the spiritual reality of God himself. An interaction that is a positive interaction that is receiving from him that which makes for life and sustains it. But we have a role in that. When we talk about community, which we will talk about, it's an interaction. It's an interaction is being invited into the community of the Godhead. Into interactive or interaction with the Trinity. Immersion into the Trinitarian community of God. When we talk about authority in verse 17, those who receive this will do what? They will reign in life through Christ Jesus. Reigning is an exercise of authority. It's intended to be interactively participated in the kingdom of God and the authority of God and acting under the authority and with the authority of Jesus Christ. And again, we'll talk about that in more detail. But what happens in our delineation of these doctrines of salvation is that we remove the interactivity from life and, and from the beginning, from the whole thing. And there's some reason for that. There's some reason for it, but we in essence, throw out the baby with the bathwater bath because of fears that we have about the idea of earning our salvation. And so I want to talk a little bit about that as well. I have a statement here. I think I'll just read it because I thought a bit about it. it said, those who insist, well, let me back up. Are you guys familiar with this concept of the the acronym TULIP delineates some of the basic reformed teaching. I won't go into what all of that means, but the, 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 the each one stands for a particular area of doctrine that they teach. Has everybody heard of TULIP or no? Is that a common thing? No? Okay. Well, um, maybe I'll have to, it doesn't look like it, maybe I'll have to um, bring a paper or something like that that you can read if you're interested that kind of explains those, those five basic tenets, if you will, of Reformed theology. 
Of those, the U in TULIP stands for unconditional election. The I stands for irresistible grace. And the L in TULIP stands for limited atonement. And the statement I, I wanted to make is that those who insist on unconditional election and irresistible grace must also then insist on a limited atonement because otherwise the whole concept falls apart. If we have any role to play in receiving the gift, then it's not unconditional election, it's not irresistible grace, and the condition between those who are saved, who receive this gift, are they receive it. If, on the other hand, you remove the ability for any person to opt in or out, then you have to say it's not for them, and, and everything else is God's doing, separating those who are in and out. And they have no, nothing to do with it. And so you, it, this whole thing is put together. But the issue that I want to bring up today is that everything that God has done and wants to do with mankind from now through eternity, from the beginning of the creation of man through eternity, was always intended to be interactive, and God created us to be interactive. And anything that removes the interactivity of man removes the purpose for which man was created by God. And we miss the very purpose for our creation by insisting that man cannot interact with God. But the point that I want to make here is that this is very, very prevalent and, and it misses one of the significant aspects that God intended for mankind in all of his, all of God's interactions with man. That is a reciprocal interac interaction from man. Our salvation does not start with just that interaction. It starts all the way back to God's intention for man. It continues on through God's interaction with man throughout history and the recording of that, and continues on to the actual provision of the atonement so that man not only uh, has available this reconciliation, but it was made public as Paul tells us in Romans 3, it was made public so that people, 3 and 4, so that people would see how God could be reconciled to man and still be just. And then it continues on to us as individuals being wooed by God and drawn in. But the assertion that I'm making here is that that that, all of that, is universal. The different factor is how we respond and react to all of that. That's the differentiation. So the question, what would a pastor of a church, what would his or her responsibility be in that equation? And, and I think the answer to that is speaking plainly what God has 
revealed through the scripture and is revealing to that person as necessary to speak. When I, what I mean by that, when I say revealing to that person, there's a lot here. And I ha when I speak, I have to choose Sunday by Sunday what it is that I, ha that I intend to say. And we're told by Peter that a person who is charged by God and given the gift of teaching is intended by God to teach as if he's teaching the very words of God. And so to take that seriously means that I have to make a determination of what I think is necessary to be spoken about today. That's my, that's my role. Whether or not you receive what has to be said has a lot to do with your position about God. And this goes back to Romans chapter 1. In fact, we can just turn quickly. Romans chapter 118 um, talks about the universal aspect of this. I want you to notice verse 18, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against un all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. I want you to notice the active nature of the participation of mankind in suppressing the truth. And then Paul unpacks what he means by that. He said, because that which is known about God is evident within them, and God made it evident to them. We're talking about, <laughs> it's really interesting, it actually, people who have studied over the years anthropology and whatnot come to see that the realization of the existence of the spirit world, and particularly God, is a universal truth among mankind. And what happens is you have to spend a lot of energy and effort educating people to reject that notion. That's a given. It's been a given. Throughout all history, it's been a given. And you just, it's just that you have to have a couple of, you know, doctorates before you can seem smart enough to convince people that that's not true. And so as a result of that, there's effort put forward to reject that truth. And, and so Paul, going further in verse 20, the, since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. Um, verse 21, For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. This is an active participation to reject the rightful claim God has to rule and reign in the life of mankind in the realm of mankind. It's an active participation. This is what the wrath of God is about. And every opportunity to turn from this attitude has been provided by God to mankind. And throughout their individual lives, God has been actively bringing them to this repentance, this turning of intention. And yet, 
he allows man, he allows men and women, boys and girls, individuals, to resist him for a time. Now the scripture tells us that man, the spirit of God, will not strive with man forever. And there will come a day when he says that's enough. I've gone far enough. But where we sit today is that God has placed, he could overcome man, he could overcome man's will, but he has placed the ability to choose in his creation in order to accomplish his purpose. And if he destroys that, he will have destroyed the very purpose for which he has created mankind. And so our receiving of that gift of grace is God's way of redeeming man back to the purpose for which he was created. The availability of that gift is a universal thing. The reaction and response to that is not. I want to look at, going back to Romans 5, verse 10, just point out a couple of other things. We kind of already talked about this, but I'm going to begin. If while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Saved by his life, what does it mean? It means this, uh, the atonement, the substitutionary death of Christ did not save us. It was his resurrection. It was his life that saves us. The substitutionary death of Jesus Christ made available that life by which we may be saved. Without the death of Christ, there would be no salvation available to man. Without the life of Christ, remember what Paul said, by the way, about resurrection? What did Paul say about resurrection? If Christ was not raised from the dead, then what? We're still in our sins. We're still in our sins. Why is that? Because the death of Jesus Christ did not bring salvation. It was the resurrection of Christ that brought salvation. The death of Jesus Christ provided a sacrifice, as Hebrews 10 says, that can remove sin. The blood of bulls and goats cannot remove sin. Remember that? But God has provided a sacrifice that can remove sin. Let me put it this way. Had he stayed dead, it isn't that we would have just been missing evidence. We would have been missing life. There would have been no life to be given. Had he stayed dead, there would have been no life to be given. And yes, his resurrection was indeed an evidence that God can do what he says he's going to do, which is what? Give us life and give it to us abundantly and eternally, an eternal type of life. But it, it wasn't just to show that he can do that. It is a proof. There's no doubt about it. And the, the reason that he made it evident, in other words, public, was so that we would have the opportunity to respond and understand. But had it not been public, it still would have been adequate. So without the forgiveness of sin, we could not be reconciled with God and we could not receive his life. 
But since there is an offering that takes away sin, we now have the opportunity to receive his gift of grace, which includes his life. It includes reconciliation and peace, but it doesn't end there. That was really just the genesis of it. The intent was to bring to us an eternal kind of life, to be, allow us to be participants in the divine nature. If his eternal kind of life is in us, then we will experience the same resurrecting power that Jesus Christ experienced as a result of life. That's the assertion of the gospel, is that that kind of life could not be kept in the grave. And when we have that kind of life, we cannot be kept in the grave. This is salvation, to have the eternal kind of life and having it in abundance, as Jesus said. Thanks for listening in today. Our vision at TRC Ministries is to see individuals fulfill their calling under the authority of the church using the resources of the kingdom of God. If you enjoyed this podcast, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any upcoming episodes. And for more information on TRC Ministries or to contact us, go to www.regenerationcenter.org.